My favorite Nick New Girl quote is rubbing alcohol heals outside wounds, drinking alcohol <laughs> heals inside wounds. <laughs> uh, good show. Never never felt closer to a television character than Nick Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Beer Here podcast. I am Alex. I am Will, and it is um, feeling better in the kitchen. It's not, not that bad out, really. Um, here's the thing: it was, it was a nice, nice walk over here. I also, for once, didn't decide to blast the oven for like two hours. <laughs> um, Fair. It's like middle of the summer. You know what? Let's cook a full turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving in August? Is that a thing? It should be Thanksgiving every month, personally. This is my <laughs> belief system. Uh, it is amazing, too, how um, the simple act of cleaning a ceiling fan that hasn't seen a brush in four years <laughs> may. Was it even clean when you moved in? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> they redid the place. Oh, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe. Uh, anyway, how's it going? Uh, everything's good. How are you? Good. Um, kind of excited to... Uh, finally just lay down and accept that we've covered a number of styles and you know it's okay to uh return back into your uh your pool of hits i, I mean yeah we have done a few uh classic ipa episodes uh we did east coast west coast classic did, yeah yeah i mean not like the new school brood ipas or, no 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 or our, those were classic episodes oh those yeah oh yeah i mean every one of our episodes is a classic <laughs> especially our lawnmower beer episode. <laughs> you throw out, I, I'm just going to start throwing IPA in the title of every episode, then, because that does seem to add like an extra like 20% boost of listening. <laughs> Jagged Little Pills 2. This time it's IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> just subliminal IPA messaging. Yes. Uh, although, spoiler alert, there will be discussion of hops on this, on this episode, so <gasps> there will be an IPA tie-in. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like every beer has hops. Uh, don't tell that to people because some people just can't deal with that hoppy shit. Yes, even your Oreo milk fuck IPA. Oh, I have a year old one of those. I need to drink that soon. <laughs> just see how the flavors changed. I'm just shaking my head. Yeah, it was such a good beer name too, Oreo Speedwagon. That is really good. <laughs> I, I, you know me as many as anyone likes a good pun. Okay. Um. So yes. So we're returning back to the uh, the Pilsner. Yes, uh, hence the jagged little pills. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, an appropriate beer for the August heat. Yeah, uh, dog days of summer. Definitely uh, been been drinking those pilsners. I am uh, so, finding out that a local bar has Prima Pills for five fifty a pounder can was dangerous. Da- yeah, very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I I rather kind of like this time of year because even though it sucks, I can like start mentally preparing for fall coming. We and are, yeah, we're like three weeks away from the release of the first Oktoberfests of the year, and it's the best time of year. <laughs> are, are you sure about that? Did you already see some? Uh, pumpkin beer at an Oktoberfest today. Oh my god. That's, I didn't, I didn't see any today. It's but... August, man. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just trying to think, it was, it, it was mid to late August last year, uh, the first time I encountered the Great Lakes, and that was at a, a, sa- a restaurant that sadly burnt down, uh, Harris Grill. Um, they are rebuilding it. It'll supposedly be open next year. Um, but, uh, it was the last day of their frozen rosé slushies. Oh, nice. And 
uh, with every drink you order, they gave you a rosé, a frozen rosé ice pop. But I was so excited to see Oktoberfest on tap, and I ordered it, and I actually got it in like the dimpled pokel. Nice. And it was, it just felt appropriate, and I wanted to steal that glass so badly. <laughs> <sighs> one of one of my favorite things is just fantasizing about the nice weather, and I know that we're going to get that like three to five day stretch of fall, like in the middle of September. Yeah. And then if we're going to get crushing July heat again. Yep. It's, it's, we're going to have a week where it's like 56, like high fifties, low sixties and like a little bit breezy. And that's going to be 90 the next week. <laughs> One of those moments where you know, the weather here is usually so nasty for most of the time that every once in a while you have a like good week stretch and you go, you know what? This is why I like it here. <laughs> <laughs> this one week out of the 52 weeks of the year. I am was happy not with the miserable. environment 5% of the time. <laughs> this is why I live here. 5%, like 2% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I, I'm interested to see how you're going to uh, do history. Uh, yeah, seeing so, as we already did it once. So, yeah, if you actually do want uh, some history on the style of uh, Pilsner's. Uh, listen to our classic Jagged Little Pills episode. Uh, you'll find out all about Joseph Grohl and uh, the history of the style and how much uh, that's the a, city. The Dave, city of, Dave's brother, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Spelled the same way too. Yeah. But at all. Um, and then find out uh, how much the city of Pilsen uh, or Pilsen really uh, hates Germany and the fact that they pretty much stole the Czech style of beer and tried to sue him multiple times. Um, yeah, they've done much more things. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, so in a recent episode, uh, I, it was our mild episode, uh, I brought up a weird piece of Texas law uh, that you weren't allowed to sell, breweries weren't allowed to sell takeout beer. Uh, that law is still in effect until uh, September 1st, and then breweries are finally allowed to sell take-home beer. Uh, and we started just complaining about uh, PA laws in general, um, so wanted to get into a little bit of why, uh, our laws were the way they were for a long time and still are a little bit wonky here and there. Um, so it essentially comes down to the fact that when, uh, nationwide prohibition was, uh, <laughs> ended, our governor was a teetotaler. Um, he may have been a Quaker. Uh, <laughs> and his name his, is Gifford Pinchot. <laughs> yeah, his, his name is Gifford Pinchot. Um, I like Pinchot better. Pinchot. <laughs> um, so he honestly set out to make buying alcohol as difficult as humanly possible. This He 100% admitted to this fact. Um, so he essentially set up a system that you had between the three-tier system of beer... Um, just make it as confusing and backwards as possible um, that you can't, you had to go to a beer distributor and buy whole cases of beer. Only from restaurant licenses could you buy anything smaller than a 24 pack. And even in those scenarios, you had to buy under 192 fluid ounces at a time. Um, in addition, uh, our liquor in this state is sold by state stores, uh, meaning they're state run and owned companies. Uh, because he believed whiskey will be sold by civil service employees with exactly the same amount of salesmanship as is displayed by an automatic postage stamp vending machine. So essentially, he just wanted dr mindless drone workers to sell these things and not be able to, you know, really have a real discussion about like flavor profiles and things like that. Um, 
This guy sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> he sounds like the worst person. Um, Do we know what he looks like? Uh, typical mid-20th century, or early 20th century politician. He doesn't have, like, a cool mustache oh, or anything. He has the state park. Uh, of course he does. He was a governor here. <laughs> um, um, what was that about not having oh, a mustache? Oh, he did have a cool mustache. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> looks nice and walrusy. <laughs> Very. <laughs> so... This visual plays work very well on podcasts, I know. Um, I'm not sure if that's not... Is he trying to be Roosevelt there? I believe so. He is wearing a fantastic boater in that photo, though. Um, so, like I said, uh, they only allowed restaurant and bar licenses uh, to sell beer, but only up to 192 fluid ounces. Uh, this was actually finally changed in 2016. The 192 fluid ounce rule still does apply, but standalone bottle shops... Uh, can exist now in the state, so they actually have a new license type. Uh, beer distributors were not allowed to sell in sizes other than cases and kegs. Uh, that law also repealed in 2016. Uh, places had to have a separate license to sell on Sundays, and they were not allowed to do so until 11 a.m. originally. Uh, that has been ruled back to 9 a.m., mm. uh, and I do believe you still need a separate license in order to sell on at, Sundays. At least a certain percentage of sermons have to be completed. Eight o'clock mass. Yeah, yeah, and then and then it's okay. That that's why the Catholics believe in Saturday night mass because then you can be as hungover as you want on Sunday. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then Pinchot did decide that the choice of whether to be a wet county or a dry county could should be decided at the county level. Um, at first, there were a few fair number of counties uh, that were completely dry in the state. Um, however, there are no dry counties left. There are some dry townships left. Um, I know. Uh, Slippery Rock, that was changed in about 2009, I want to say. But that was indeed a dry town. You had to drive over the border to, I think, Grove City was the nearest uh, in order to buy uh, any alcohol. So That must have been a fun college experience. (laughs) uh, There was literally a beer distributor right across the township line. (laughs) So they they knew what they were doing. Um, And yeah, so that's just a little bit of uh, history of why PA was kind of screwy for a long time. Thankfully, we have updated at least a little bit uh, and caught up with some other states. Uh, uh, the state store thing is still kind of a pain in the ass, um, especially because the other thing about that is it's more expensive for the most part um, well, because there's, and there's no just a, competition. Yeah, utter lack of competition and like just lack of choice. Yeah, uh, some stores, and that was just the thing, like... Um, as someone who drank a lot of scotch, uh, there were some stores that were really, had really good scotch selections and other ones that just didn't. So, you know, the one when I was drinking scotch, uh, I had to leave my neighborhood in order to buy better scotch because I lived in a, I lived in a college neighborhood and there was nothing there. <laughs> and there's never, ever any Buffalo Trace. Uh, I, yeah, you find it once and then I never again. I think the again. restaurants buy that out, though. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that might be it. Um, because, yeah, Buffalo Trace is delicious. <laughs> Best bang for the book. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, nice work I'm there. thirsty. Thank you. <laughs> I am also thirsty. Um, you can go for a little uh, Firestone Walk or uh, Pivo Pills. All right. Uh, from Paso Robos, California. It is 5.3% ABV. Beer Advocate has a 3.94 out of 5. Untapped a 3.4 out... Four nine out of five. I am so glad that I don't have to remember the beers of replacement stuff anymore. My life has become a lot easier since uh, what was it? Beer graphs. Beer graphs um, became 
no longer viable. They just didn't feel like, I right, whatever. Uh, so the, sorry, I'm grabbing beers. I will come back to the mic. Uh, the guy who was running that website, uh, his name was Eno Saris. He is now a writer. Uh, he's a baseball writer for The Athletic. So he just didn't have time to do it anymore. It was just kind of a fun side is project. Is making real money doing yes. something else. <laughs> uh, Brewer's Notes. Pivo Pills is a classically rendered pilsner with a West Coast dry hopping twist. Showcasing stylistic influences from Germany, Italy, and the Czech Republic, lighter beer styles like Pilsner have been hijacked by industrial lager beer in the United States, and it's time for preppers to take it back. Pivo Pils offers impeccable balance with floral aromatics, spicy herbal nuances, and bergamot zest and lemongrass notes from dry hopping with German sapphire hops. So now for the visual portion of our podcast. Uh, I absolutely love firestone walkers can design i know uh a bear there's a, a bear lion. fighting a lion <laughs> like, what more could you want and the lion is really doing the fighting irish stance mm-hmm. uh, um yeah so it's a nice uh shade of green let's crack this bad boy the can open. is timeless classic, classic not chasing trends Mm-mm. just good nice mm-hmm. beautiful stuff So, for us, we've discussed this before, Firestone Walker, very new to our market. Yeah, legitimately, I said it on an episode earlier this year that I didn't think they were ever coming here, and then the next time we recorded, uh, saw Firestone Walker in the grocery store. Yeah, last year when I went to the beach um, in North Carolina, I was ecstatic to be able to drink some Firestone Walker, Mm -hmm. and was really actually looking forward to being able to have it again when I went to the beach, and... Then it just showed up, yeah, a month and a half before you were going. It was kind of like back in the day, and this is so hard to fathom anymore that... Before we had New Belgium here? Yeah, that used to get <laughs> so excited to be able to get Fat Tire. Um, that's because uh, I would do my family reunion in Maryland. Uh, that was the first time I ever had anything from New Belgium. Um, and then actually last year when I went to Delaware, I was so excited to see Firestone Walker as well. Um, ended up picking up uh, because they're, they they had, like, scratch and dent cans, essentially, and they were half price. Oh, nice. So I got some uh, Luponic Distortion for, like, $1.50 a can or $2 a can or something, and then uh, we picked up uh, Sticky Monkey, which uh, is one of their uh, Belgian, uh, barrel-aged Belgians, and that was a fantastic beer. <laughs> it's very, very good. As <laughs> um, so I can say about us, Will, um, we are simple men. We see Pilsner, we drink Pilsner. Yes. Uh, I am attempting to do the uh, the slow pour on mine, so that's why we're dwaddling yeah, I mean, a little bit. <laughs> uh, once again, uh, very much benefiting the listeners by doing this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, fine, I, I will. Yeah, it's, it's all right, Alex, I'll just edit it out. <laughs> just have your fun, Will. Um, visual. Uh, it's the color clean of, as can be yeah it's the color a beer should be <laughs> that's the, sweet sweet cracker i'd say yeah that malt like great malt backbone to it uh not overly biscuity or anything but yeah crackery it's you get the floral hops out of it too uh so so much that's i'm actually gonna look up i know they said uh they dry hop with saphir yeah i want to see what the west coast influence on it is so anyway while i'm looking that up i think we can take our first sip all right cheers cheers
Ooh, normal glasses again. Mm-hmm. Damn fine beer. Damn good beer. <laughs> um, so Pilsner is just like one of those styles that is so simple that it is easy to mess up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very, very easy to mess up. Um, this is... I, I still can't believe those scores are as low as they are, in all honesty. Like, I understand the untapped a little bit, but I can't believe this is so lowly rated on Beer Advocate. Yeah. Um, now, the theme for this episode, uh, or at least the Pilsers that we were drinking, uh, were ones that come up as non-Czech uh, or non-German. Um, so this is just, con- both of these are going to be considered other uh, Pilsners. Uh, our next one will be a Bohemian Pilsner. Uh, this one is just generally considered a European Pilsner because of, the, like they were saying, the German, Czech, and Italian influences um, on it. So this one... Um just hits you very crisp on the tongue mm-hmm. then that malt lays in very nicely and then just as it finishes you start feeling that hot bitterness coming through mm-hmm. and man i think i said that way too <laughs> happily <laughs> like so, in a trance <laughs> um so they use magnum spalter and saphir uh so magnum is going to be kind of where that west coast uh influence comes in um yeah the it's just, yeah, it's so light, it's so easy to drink, but so much flavor to it. Um, yeah. I, I just, I can't talk enough about how much I love this beer. <laughs> it's very great. <laughs> uh, give us a good Pilsner or cream ale or lager, and <laughs> that's all we, you need this summer. Yeah, we, we are happy. Um, uh, I guess we could brew up some news. Uh, Alright, let's get that kettle out. <laughs> get that work going <laughs> can't believe that we're still doing that joke yep <laughs> um, so i can't believe we're still doing this podcast yeah this is true um so first news piece uh, this is quite the comeback tour though oh it has been oh <laughs> uh, wait you mean an episode where we just had an excuse to drink milds yeah why not <laughs> we drink for ourselves now <laughs> right um, this is never a self-indulgent thing until now. That The Brood IPA episode is the one that broke us, and now we're just like, all right, we're drinking what we want when yep. we want. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a Brian D. Roth uh, Good Beer Hunting article from July 2nd, um, entitled Citrus Soars Cascade Falls. Report shows continued shift to our new favorite hop. Um, so I understand this is a Pilsner episode, um, but... We're going to be discussing Citra Hop. Uh, it has grown 42% uh, in terms of acreage uh, between 2018 and 2019. Some are calling it the White Claw of Hops. <laughs> I've, no one's calling it that. I just did. <laughs> uh, so it's a one real, man is one calling man it. One man is calling it. Uh, this is a real acreage change of 2,653 planted acres. Uh, so this change is coming at the expense of the classic West Coast IPA hop, Cascade. Uh, Cascade planted acreage actually dropped by 14.5% over that 2018 to 2019 uh, time frame. Um, overall, with the haze and more tropical forward IPAs being all the rage, Citra overtook Cascade as the most grown hop in 2018. Is the most grown hop in this in the chart that was in this article? Not uh, overall. They we'll better not be messing with my Centennial. <laughs> uh, Centennial's been pretty consistent. Um, so Citra overtook Cascade uh, in 2018, and 
as recently as 2015, Cascade was planted in over 7,581 acres, and Citra was only planted over 4,494 acres. The real numbers for 2019 seem to project only 5,280 acres for Cascade and 9,035 acres for Citra. Uh, That's an over 200% jump from 2015 to 2019 for Citra. Uh, by pound, Citra is the third most harvested hop in the world behind Saws and Hercules, with 2019 projecting Citra to actually overtake Saws and become the second most harvested hop. Uh, the full article, if you go and read it, also shows the growth of Mosaic and Simcoe. Uh, it's, those have been big growers, but not to the level of Citra, obviously. Um, and then for further context on this, it uh, according to IRI numbers, the... It's not until Hazy Little Thing uh, at Sierra Nevada's Hazy Little Thing at the sixth best-selling IPA in the country that you kind of see one of those newfangled, uh, more tropical uh, IPAs. Number six. Number six. Interesting. Um, so I forget what eh, I forget what the exact list was, but um, Lagunitas IPA uh, all day. Uh, Stone, I think, was in there. Um, Two-Hearted. And I forget what the fifth one was. Good so for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting little uh, you know, little piece. I I kind of knew something was up when I uh, had mentioned to you a couple months ago that I saw Labatt Citra. <laughs> uh, I never did get to try Labatt Citra. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not familiar with the number one hop. Uh, Hercules, I want to say, is used in a lot of, uh, like, Euro-style lagers. Um, so I'm ac- I'm going to look it up, actually. Um, so, think, uh, light beers. Uh, I'm guessing that's is why. Is that, is that, um, is it the thing that gives Coors Light its cold taste profile? Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, according to thehoplist.com, uh, it's, uh, it's a hull bred offspring of Hallertow and Taurus, uh, which Hallertow, Hallertower, you're going to see, uh, in a lot of traditional lagers, uh, notes of melon, black pepper, and pine. It's a bittering and an aroma hop. So, um, it's also... Uh, very efficient at growing, and you can harvest it very easily. So that's part of the reason, too. And just say that all Citra beers are delicious. Um, Yeah, I've I've actually fallen a little bit off the Citra train. I'm a huge Mosaic fan uh, nowadays, which gives you a little more of that, like, berry uh, and a a little bit of of dankness, even. Um, But yeah, that's... Yeah, all Citra beers tend to be good. <laughs> yes, they do. Galaxy Uh-oh. all day, bro. Uh, Is I mean, Galaxy still crazy? No, ga- Galaxy's fallen off in favor, honestly, of Mosaic. <laughs> I was going to say, Galaxy was expensive for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, still talking about hops, nothing is ever going to come close to how expensive and how difficult it is to get Nelson Savon. Yeah. But damn if it's not great. Damn if it's not delicious. Um... I feel like it's a regular thing now for us to have litigation corner on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, so head on over there, uh, pull out our desk. 
All right, Heineken USA agrees to pay $1.25 million fine to sell New York trade practice violations. Uh, once again, from Justin Kendall, not former Pittsburgh Pirates catcher. Nope. Coming on the heels of Heineken USA paying a $2.5 million fine to the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau over trade violations only three months ago, Heineken, Heineken USA, USA. <laughs> or HUSA, yeah. now has to pay the New York State Liquor Authority for the same violations. This all stems from Heineken reimbursing retailers who purchased their proprietary Brewlock draft system. Uh, the, violators were for, the violations were for issues nationwide, including New York State. According to TTB, what is TTB, Will? The Alcohol, Tobacco, uh, Tax, and Trade Bureau. So you have to, essentially, uh, breweries have to, that's who they also have to submit labels and beer names to, is just, it's the TTB. Just an easier way to refer to it. Uh, so according to them, uh, Heineken also reimbursed retailers who purchased the so-called patented and revolutionary on-premise technology through disguised credit card transactions. Heineken was also accused of making slotting fee payments to retailers which were disguised as permissible activities, such as consumer sampling experiences that never took place. The fine to the New York State Liquor Authority stems from these same violations in the state, 32 counts of it occurring, and 10 counts of improper bookkeeping. Yes. Um... So it's the largest single fine ever to be paid to uh, the New York State Liquor Authority. <laughs> so what is the brew log draft system? I have no idea what it is, and I tried looking it up, and I got nothing. <laughs> uh, I got, you know, like marketing mumbo-jumbo from Heineken on it. Um, so I can't even tell you what it is. Uh, so I'm guessing it's just like some type of draft tower system that has a Heineken sticker on it. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> um, yeah, and... I mean, not not quite on the level of our uh, our discussions of pay to play, but I feel like we've had a lot of like, uh, this company was disguising was paying uh, retailers off uh, through disguised credit card transactions. I feel like we've had a lot of that recently. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess fuck you, Heineken. <laughs> not really, because uh, Lagunitas is great. <laughs> And, oh, have you had the Chicago brewed Newcastle yet? I have not. How is it? I haven't had it yet either. No, I was just curious. for you for a second. No. Um, I keep forgetting that I have to buy it and try it at some point, especially now that it's in brown bottles. Uh, once again, the, the connection there is that uh, Heineken also owns the Newcastle Brewery, and they are now brewing Newcastle uh, out of the Lagunitas facility in Chicago. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think that's really all we have to say. On Heineken. <laughs> um, yeah, completely random. I was kind of just scrolling through something else, but uh, are you familiar with the 330-300 rule in terms of beer storage? Uh, I, I've heard it before, but go through it again. Yeah, um, I just thought this was kind of interesting. I, I, I have heard of it, but I don't think I ever saw it broken down this way. So in terms of beer degradation, um, these are kind of a ratio of how temperature affects how a beer will break down. So... Um, for three days at 90 degrees temperature is the same amount of degradation at 30, 30 days at 72 degrees, so probably room temperature in the summer. Yeah. Or um, 300 days at 38 degrees refrigerated. So once again, like, people always talk about, like, the necessity of keeping beer cold constantly, especially when mm -hmm. you're using, you know, high hop-forward beers. So it's an understandable, um... <laughs> yeah. Uh... So that's all. That's also why if you can, always, always, always buy cold. Uh, and there are certain uh, companies that will help uh, outfit trucks to for their wholesalers, uh, so that way the beer is uh, always shipped and kept cold. Yeah, there's uh, um. 
So I did. I, sorry, I just looked into it really quickly. Uh, the Brewlock draft system is actually a recyclable uh, PET keg, oh, pretty okay. much. So it's actually a cool environmental thing, and it sucks that uh, Heineken patented it, I guess, and uh, no one else can really use it because that would be great. Not that I mean, aluminum kegs are also, you know, around forever, pretty much, and washable and refillable. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's pretty cool that they're making it out of recyclable material so i guess our last little bit of news uh just as a follow-up from our previous episode a uh, friend of the podcast uh and future social media manager for the beer here podcast has he come back to us yet he, once again he favorited that tweet i think that's pretty much an agreement should we um <laughs> drop well, the paperwork uh i, I think we yeah I can create an hr department <laughs> <laughs> i think i can email him some things uh can a cat be a legal placeholder for an HR uh, representative? That's, I was just wondering that, actually. <laughs> so which one is our head of HR? Um, Jeremy Danner uh, has landed at Four Hands Brewing uh, in St. Louis as an ambassador brewer and uh, Kansas City on-premise specialist. So his job kind of didn't change too, too much because this is pretty much what he'd been doing at Boulevard outside of the kind of the social media management side of things. Uh, so essentially he's going to talk about uh forehands now <laughs> a lot and uh do like tastings and stuff for them so glad he kind of landed on his uh feet i was gonna try and make a quick witty remark i had to look it up first I, <laughs> don't you mean goro brewing company he was the guy from mortal kombat with the forearms oh okay <laughs> <laughs> that joke landed very well <laughs> um so let it be shown that i let us get Around the 30-minute mark before I tried to completely <laughs> get everyone to turn it off. <laughs> so The unsubscribe button is very near your hand, probably. Feel free to hit it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Good good for you, Mr. Danner. Um, yeah. uh, it's a shame that we could not work out uh, the pro bono social media management. <laughs> not a lot of news today. No, uh... It, I struggled to even find a second piece of news, and that's why the Heineken thing was in there, to be quite honest with you. Um, mm. All it, right. I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick little... Um, this is like a mini discussion point that right. will take us like less than three minutes. All right. This is on a um, our beer post on uh, Reddit, uh, posted by user Fuck Red Squirrels six days sure. ago. <laughs> Foul language at breweries. <laughs> this past Thursday, I went to a brewery with a friend of mine sometime late afternoon, early evening. At the table next to us, there were two dudes, the bro types. <laughs> the bro types. And the next table had a family with three exclamation point young kids. Everything was fine until about half an hour later when one of the bros next to us proclaims somewhat loudly, I'm fucking sick of this weather. The father of the table next to them blows up and starts pulling the watch your language around small kids card. The bro apologizes and they quickly finish their beers, pay, and leave about ten minutes later. I know the topic of kids at breweries has been pre-debated. As someone with a kid myself, I would never bring her to a brewery for a number of reasons, being around drunk behavior, for example. If I'm craving a beer and I have to take my kid to a brewery, I'm just going to buy a six-pack and drink a few beers at home. But this incident irritated, irritated me for some reason. Like, this ain't a library, Chuck E. Cheese, Toys R Us, dude. <laughs> um, I always feel uncomfortable when there are children in a brewery or a bar, and I do try to watch my language. Um, not that I swear a ton to begin with but yeah uh, like i can see the the validity of well this this isn't a this is a bar like i understand that argument but also like you're in public you're an adult you like these 
the important have thing... Have a little self-awareness. Right. Have some self-awareness. And the, the more important, like, part of the reason for bringing kids to breweries, and this is something that Jeremy Danner is on about constantly, is if you don't bring children out in public, they're not going to know how to act in public. It's a very valid point. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you, you know, if, if there's a baby crying or something... You're not the, like, and it's not yours. You're not the only person annoyed by it. I'm sure the parents are also annoyed and want it to, like, want the child to stop crying or stop whining. Like, you know, it's, (laughs) yeah, I... I I think we can all agree that we much prefer when people bring dogs to breweries than children. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Dogs at breweries, adorable. Kids, Mm -hmm. I feel weird. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, It's kind of like, I mean, it's essentially like kind of bringing a child to a bar. Yeah, uh, but, and I'm coming from the perspective of someone who kind of grew up in and around bars um, a lot. Uh, my dad was a bartender, uh, my stepmother was a kitchen manager at a, go- like, at a golf course. I've spent a fair amount of time in bars. And, you know, most people are good about if they see a child around kind of watching themselves. And it sounds like the the guy who swore in this situation, like... They handled it properly. Like, I don't think the dad needed to get upset and tell the, you know, get in the guy's face and tell him to, like, watch his language. Like, maybe just, like, hey, like, you watch it a little bit. Like, I have a kid here. And, you know, try to not let the other people feel uncomfortable and, like, they should leave. But, you know, maybe getting out of there was a good idea. Yeah, I mean... Did they even notice the kids there? That's the other thing, yeah. If you're... I, I don't always notice the people around me at other tables. And I feel like for the most part, most people aren't, like, getting blind drunk at breweries. No, breweries tend to be pretty uh, you chill. You typically have to drive to those. Yeah. Like, not many breweries I know are walkable for the majority of people who go there. Oh, no. Def- almost definitely not. Although, That's... I guess, you know, when has that ever stopped? People, yeah, <laughs> A good exactly. portion of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny going into, like, Sharpsburg on a Dancing Gnome release day and just the number of cars parked there even though you can very easily take like two or three different buses to Sharpsburg and well those people aren't actually drinking the beer well (laughs) for the most part for the most part you're right (laughs) they're just standing in line because lines are fun um and yeah grabbing like you know their couple six their couple four packs that's sweet sweet trade value that's sweet sweet trade money uh and then, yeah, but I don't know. I went the night before Thanksgiving this past year, and it took 20 minutes to get a beer there. That's, that's how packed they were. <laughs> that's a nightmare. Oh, it was it was not fun. Uh, and I stood in line for a solid 40 minutes to buy a cranberry sour, which was delicious. Yes, good stuff. Um, I think we've cleared enough material. Um, yeah, so uh, fi- kind of final thoughts on uh, Pivo. Yeah, um not gonna be my last one that i drink tonight <laughs> definitely not it's the one thing i love about pilsner even if it warms up it's still so drinkable i'm reminded of the uh coupe line and uh crimson peak or not crimson peaks gosh twin peaks <laughs> wrong peaks every day once a day do something nice for yourself <laughs> uh, drinking a Pebo pilsner is doing something nice for yourself. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I, fe- I just felt like that was a good end to the first segment. Um, yeah, I do I do love Firestone Walker's uh, uh, tagline, though. Beer before glory. Amen. 
almost uh, definitely up there with uh, I think it was Sierra Nevada's family owned, operated, and fought over. Yes, <laughs> that I believe that was an Instagram post on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, all right, uh, take a quick little break here, and we'll be back for round two. All right, we are back uh, for beer number two. Uh, Will, I'm going to let you do the pronunciation. Siviani. Uh, Pivovar Maz. Thank you. 4.8% ABV. Beer Advocate, 3.65 out of 5. Um, untapped, 3.14 out of 5. And people hate Pilsners, apparently. Uh, notice Nas is the best-selling Svillian. beer in both draft and bottled versions. We started producing it in 1998 and quickly filled the gap between weaker, thirsty beers and stronger, 12 lagers. Raw materials. Waters from our own wells. Pills and malt from independent malt houses. Prepared hops. Okay. Hot pellets. Sugar. Brewer's yeast. Also note, this brewery has been around since 1564. Yeah, uh, so I was completely unaware of the existence of this beer until... Oh, last fall, maybe? Um, so this is an unpasteurized uh, bohemian-style pilsner. Uh, Sviani is a uh, town in the Czech Republic. Um, like, like Alex said, this brewery's been around since 1564. Uh, they also make, uh, you know, a couple dark lagers and things like that. Um, this specific one, um, like I said, I was unaware of its existence than uh, one of... Uh, the bartenders in this city whose beer opinions I, I trust started tweeting out and Instagramming photos of him drinking this after his shift. And I was like, Oh, I need to have this in my life. And, uh, they were start, they started to sell it at the, uh, the bottle shop that's attached to a movie theater that I was a member of. And it was one of the cheaper beers there. Uh, and it's a, it 4.8% ABV. It comes in a pounder can. And I think it was like $4. So it was always a good go-to, like, a pounder can through a movie, and it's not super alcoholic. Like, eh. it was a, it was a go-to for me for a while, um, and apparently uh, there's a brewery or there's a brewery around the corner from where the uh, movie theater is, and it's the eleventh hour uh, for anyone familiar with Pittsburgh, um, and the brewers there are also absolutely love this beer. And they're kind of the ones who pushed it a little bit into the market here. Um, little not standard uh, verbiage on the can. Uh, instead of a Best Buy date, a minimum durability date? Yes. Uh, I'm guessing that's because... Uh, and the note that you read is actually... Uh, I ran that through Google Translate because it was all in Czech. Um, and I actually commented that I was unaware that there was even any English on this can because I assumed this whole time that it was all in Czech. Um, and then... Yeah, there's, uh, the Sviani brand represents traditional beer typical for the Czech Republic, produced from high-quality water and malt from selected varieties of malted barley from its small independent Czech and Moravian malt houses, with the addition of the nest saz hops. Production takes place today in the vanishing traditional production method used back in the second half of the 20th century by all Czech brewers. This is characterized by the double mash brewing fermentation double mash brewing method with a thorough boiling of the mash and the long boiling of the hops. Fermentation in open vats in the fermentation room and long-term maturing in lagering tanks. We do not chemically treat the beer at all and we deliver it to the market unpasteurized, thus in the quote-unquote live form. Uh, this pleasantly clean hoppy taste and aroma is therefore retained. Sviliani is wholly Czech-owned and remains one of the last in quote-unquote domestic hands. So 
So if the minimum durability date is 12, 23, 18, what is the maximum? I have no idea. I, I'm guessing that's the Candon date, and there was just some weird translation issue. Well, very good. Without further ado. it's a nice thick tab on that one. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird can. I'll be more respectful of our listeners and not slow pour this one. <laughs> so, yeah, much like uh, the uh, Pivo earlier, uh, non this is considered a Bohemian Pilsner. Uh, so in our first Pilsner episode, I believe we did one Czech and one German-style Pils. Um, so Bohemia was a kingdom that ran through mostly the Czech Republic, partially into Germany. Um, and it's... This is a more hoppy uh, variety of Pilsner. It's got a hell of a head on it. Yes, that that is one of my favorite things about this beer. It it looks gorgeous. So uh, first thing I notice, it is a it's darker than Pivo. Uh, this is definitely more like golden as opposed to yellow. Um, Sorry, then, now I'm playing the game. Yeah. Oh, that's so pretty. Alex has been able to pour the foam over top of the <laughs> uh, top of the uh, glasses we're drinking out of, which are the uh, can glasses, as I always refer to them. Ah. Some beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, should probably get rid of some of this foam before I try and <laughs> yeah, go- gorgeous white head on this beer too. Never sounds less gross. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, definitely uh, less sweetness, more straight hop presence. Yeah, it's very floral smelling. Uh, I don't get as much cracker out of it either. Um, so it's going to be a little, uh, I think on the nose we can tell it's definitely going to be a little bit on the hoppy side. Well, without further ado, cheers. Cheers. Hoppy, but not heavy. Um, there is a little bit of good malt sweetness in it that... Uh, definitely hits you a little more up front and then it is that long bittering drying finish very very floral yes and dare i say um nice 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 light body and very Mm -hmm. crushable yeah oh this is easy easy drinking beer um i'll sip on these and uh what's that over there i see like will it's the will gordon fun zone air horns air horns air horns (laughs) um will if you're will gordon if you're still out there (laughs) We miss you, buddy. We miss you. <laughs> um, so this one is a little bit fun. Uh, you um, discovered via Twitter user at 9999IBUs, mm-hmm. found a printed-off list of the top 50 beers on Beer Advocate in 2003. Yeah, um, so I'm not gonna, we're not going to bore you and read all of them aloud. Um, what, top, top five? Yeah, that's fair. Okay, uh, so... This was, this guy found it in a three-ring binder, apparently, like, while he was moving or something. Um, number five, Shakespeare Stout from Rogue Ales. Uh, number four, Hop Devil Ale from Victory Brewing Company. Number three, Stone Imperial Stout from Stone Brewing Company. Number two, Two-Hearted Ale from Kalamazoo Brewing Company Incorporated slash Eccentric Cafe. Yes, this list is from before Bells was called Bells. Amazing. <laughs> um, and then... The top, the number one American beer, according to Beer Advocate in 2003, Storm King Stout. 
from Victory Brewing Company. That is wild. <laughs> uh, it is insane to think about. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you go to Wait, at nine, there's no cake in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you actually have to go. Do do do. I'm just looking quickly. Uh, to number 11 until you run it into uh, an adjunct stout, and that would be Rogue's Chocolate Stout. Um, and then Brooklyn Black Chocolate Stout at number 16. Um, everything else on the list is pretty much uh, straightforward beers. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Twitter handle at 99IBUs if you want to check it out. Uh, it's a very, very uh, interesting list, and uh, I wrote just kind of a few uh, takeaway notes on this, um, and that's I'm gonna pull it back up on here so that way you can look at the list too. So, um, so anyway, um, so like I said, Victory Storm King at number one overall. That was kind of like the first big takeaway. Uh, Victory actually had uh, obviously two beers. In the top five, which is insane to think about now. <laughs> is uh, Prima fall on there? Prima is on the list indeed. Uh, 36. Um, it is the highest ranked logger, actually. Um, and then um, <laughs> both, and that's what I was getting to, uh, Dortmunder Gold uh, was also in the top 40, uh, just a few spots behind uh, Prima Pills. Stone uh, led the way with five beers in the top 50. Um, you do see a little more uh, barley wine <laughs> uh, on this list. Uh, the good old days. Yes. <laughs> um, how's, how's Dogfish hitting on here? Uh, they have one beer, and it is 90 minute. Makes uh, sense. Yeah, and that's at 35 overall. Uh, Rogue actually has a pretty good showing. Um, I didn't count them up because I don't really care about Rogue. <laughs> uh, it's the story of my life. Um, and then, like, the one thing I really took away from this is almost all these beers are what we would consider, like, the definition of the style. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, Edmund, Edmund Fitzgerald uh, as a porter. Same with uh, Bell's porter was also on the list. Uh, same with Kalamazoo Stout. Like, though, those are the defining beers uh, for those styles. And it's it's crazy now. Um, I did try to, you know, try to look at the list this year and see uh, how things have changed. Beer Advocate got rid of uh, just the flat top 50 or top 250 list. Uh, everything is now broken up by style. Um, so through a little bit of, uh, internet work, uh, I was able to find a, a cache, a cached page, uh, from 2018. You're really burning the midnight, midnight oil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, while I was sitting around watching The Bachelorette. <laughs> um, and I found a list from 2018 and I am not kidding. The, I, outside of one or two beers, the entire top 50 was nothing but adjunct and barrel aged stouts in New England IPAs. <laughs> and not not a single mention of you know a straightforward pilsner or a dortmunder export lager <laughs> um things truly have just gone downhill oh yeah definitely uh i think uh 
most of the beers on the list were also uh, like year rounds, except for one notable exception. Uh, I guess two, because uh, I don't believe Allagash puts out their triple reserve year round. Um, Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale, um, one of the best hop like harvest ales, so good <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> So the first time I bought Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale in college, I did not pay much attention to the label. I saw a log cabin with a <laughs> snowy scene and figured it was going to be... A Christmas beer. Yeah, a Christmas beer. It's called Celebration. How's it not a Christmas beer? Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, not at all. Very, very straightforward West Coast IPA with fresh hops. Because I remember I, like me naively just like being like, oh, this isn't uh, quite cold yet, but I'm like, ah. Yeah, this, crack one. I'm sure the spices and stuff will even it out at room temperature. <laughs> You were, you were in for a rude awakening. Um, a beer that we have discussed on here a fair amount, even when we didn't drink it on the podcast, uh, Old Rasputin at number nine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess this kind of fits in the, the, the hop discussion we were having earlier, too. Like, trends trends are big. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a big deal uh, when it comes to beer, apparently, and... Uh, it would actually be, and maybe I'll look into it a little bit more and uh, bring it up as another talking point in the future. Maybe like the less than two thousand three, like two thousand eight, like do like five year intervals on it and kind of see the change. But I'm really curious because I five years might be too much of an interval because I feel like the New England IPAs are just going to appear <laughs> like all at once, like Heady Topper and Sip of Sunshine and all of that um not to retread old ground but it's always the discussion too of like you know right now we're so in the midst of new england ipas still mm-hmm. it's like what is going to be that in five years and as much when you're in a trend you never really feel like it's going to go away this might be a trend that doesn't like just because it's been legitimized to such a big degree by you know uh, the brewers association setting out like okay this is the definition of a new england ipa we have three subcategories of it uh for tasting purposes i don't know if it's going to be as big as it is now but it's never i don't think it's going to be a style that goes away necessarily i think the the pastry style might be might die a slow death but i don't think the the juicy hazy ipa is going to really go away i would be curious too i mean at the end of the day pastry styles seem huge but i'm actually curious what portion of the market share they actually hold i mean dollar wise it's probably a lot because those beers tend to be 20 dollars minimum a four pack true um and yeah um i forget where i was going with this uh yeah i, I if you want to take a, a look at the list quickly and see if there's anything that jumps out to you Surprise Sierra Nevada Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is not higher at this point in time. That they're yeah. at twenty eight for the for the reference point. Yeah, that weirded me out a little bit too. Uh, like it, it might be honestly because that even in two thousand three that beer had already been around almost twenty five years. Um I did not realize that three Floyds was kicking back in two thousand three. That okay. I, I meant to bring that up. Yeah, I had no idea they were around. Uh I honestly thought they were more new school than that. Uh and the beer on there is Alpha King, uh, which is, I believe they're all Citra 
pale ale. It's very good. <laughs> um, so tying back to Citra kind of exploding as a hop varietal. <laughs> um, number 47, uh, shout out Hibernation Ale from Great Divide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an old ale on this list. <laughs> Love it. Um, kind of surprised to see at 45, uh, Rogue uh, Hazelnut Brown Nectar. Yeah, I was not impressed with that beer when I no, had it. No, <laughs> I don't remember it having, like... I remember it just having a very watery body. Mm-hmm. Um, but, once again, there's... I, I don't think that's even the only brown ale on the list. <laughs> um, just looking at breweries that I don't really recognize. Um, Hair of the Dog Brewing Company, Adam? Uh, Hair of the Dog, I want to say, is an Asheville brewery. Um... That Adam, I want to say, is their barley wine. Um, I've had one beer from them ever, uh, and it was an old-fashioned beer. Uh, it was very, very good, and it was very, very boozy. And then um, Bear Republic on here a couple times, too. Yeah, and that's a brewery that I still don't know what is going on with them. Um, I believe we had them, and then we didn't. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if this was a discussion we had on podcast or off podcast, but... Uh, Essentially, Bear Republic is in the middle of the California farmlands. Uh, the people who own the brewery are farmers. Um, so when California was going through that heavy drought uh, recently, uh, you know, meaning the last four years or whatever, um, they just cut back production um, because they did not want to, you know, hurt their land. They didn't like, and obviously California's kind of gotten out of that a little bit. And I don't know if their production just still isn't high and they're just not you know sending out as much as they're not making as much as they used to and therefore unable to you know ship out (laughs) uh to us in pennsylvania or because it had been so long maybe like the distributor who had them here the wholesaler who had them here dropped them i thought they toy i don't know if they toyed with the notion or actually did i thought they were going to open up a second production facility elsewhere they they honestly may have um but i I just have not seen their beer in forever. And that's a shame because their beer is super good. <laughs> super, super good. Um, speak of super good, this uh, Pilsner is aging quite well. Yes. Uh, this is uh, this is just such a delicious beer. Um, and I, I would highly recommend if you do see it out in the wild, it's a green can. Uh, like I said, they're, they're actually 1.9 fluid ounces because, you know, metric. So there are 500 mLs. Um, I paid roughly, I paid slightly under $12 after sales tax for a four pack of this beer. It's it's very affordable. Um, and it's definitely different, I feel, than a lot of American interpretations of Pilsners. It's almost got like a creaminess to it as it warms up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I'm, because, I mean, they disclose the fact that they add sugar to it. And I'm curious how that kind of fits and plays in with, like you're saying, like that little bit of a creamy mm-hmm. feel and taste. I do have to say, this is a little bit harder to drink. It's a little bit heavier than the Pivo is. Agreed, yeah. Um, the carbonation's not as heavy on it either, and it's very, it's just very smooth feeling. So I'm thinking, uh, I'm going to throw a surprise segment in. Uh, 
I tentatively call this Let's Get Weird with the Beer Here podcast, because <laughs> uh, we have a weird beer in the fridge. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, sh- shall I go procure that? Yeah. Alright, so what we have here is um, a new um, kind of concept of... So, I, I don't want to call it a concept. Um, so, Stillwater released a series of beers that they're calling uh, their takeaway menu. Um, and the packaging is very inspired by uh, like Chinese takeout containers like uh, that you get your rice in. So, white boxes, uh, you know, bright lettering. Uh, this one happens to be yellow. We got a koi fish on there. I, yeah, I haven't seen the can. Um, oh, koi, that's awesome. Um, so, they, they're doing a series. Right now, it's three beers. Um, I don't know if they're going to be adding to it or not. Uh, one is a plum sauce. Or, sorry, duck sauce-inspired uh, beer. One is a uh, General Tso's uh inspired beer and the last one is a kung pao inspired beer so uh, what we have here is the general goza a sour amber wheat ale brewed with orange peel chili powder sea salt and msg seasoning yes uh it's a four and a half percent goza so easy sipper uh still water uh in my experience makes very very good uh gosas and uh farmhouse msg the famous uh seasoning that is um gives that uh Essentially, the definition of umami. Yes, yeah. Uh, monosodium glutamate. Glutamate, yep. Uh, um, and that is actually, yeah, that is 100% what umami flavor is. <laughs> yes, it's the thing that makes you keep coming back and back to mm-hmm. something. So, I mean, it's almost the same color as a, a Pilsner. Not the Asiani. So, Golden. I don't get much on the, the nose. nose. Yeah, it might be the tiny glasses. It might be. Well, cheers, cheers. without the clink. <laughs> it is very orange peel up front. Um, you already want another sip, right? That's one of, <laughs> one of the things I traditionally complain about with Gosa's, and I believe I even brought this up on our Gosa episode, is that there's never enough salt in them for me. Um, that I really want that salt to balance it out. And once you kind of get past that orange peel and it gets, the beer gets more into the back of your mouth, you get that hit of the MSG. And it, it almost feels like a mushroom quality, which mushrooms are very high in MSG, in monosodium, or yeah, glutamate. So, uh, quick note on MSG, obviously something that has been very much stigmatized over the year Mm -hmm. as causing headaches etc etc a lot of articles now debunking that um it is a major trend i feel in uh, modern american cooking that msg is not evil yeah uh, if you want a good explanation uh, that is very very well thought out um just uh google harold mcgee uh famous for writing the book on food and cooking uh msg and there is a video from uh that tv show mind of a chef that was a pbs show originally I think Anthony Bourdain produced it, and David Chang was on the first season, where he very clearly explains how it works and yeah, why they, it's not this evil bogeyman that some people make it out to be. Yeah, there's also a very good explanation of it on uh, Serious Eats uh, as well. I believe it was Kenji 
uh, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, who, uh, who wrote about why MSG is not evil. It, it might be a little less uh, in-depth than that other one, but yeah, that's... MSG's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. Um, I don't know if this is a factor of a couple things right now, but I drinking this beer actually is almost making me more thirsty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that could be a few things. Um, the other... I do get a little bit of that pepper oh, yeah. in the back of the yeah. mouth. Uh, like I forgot about that, that until, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's that little heartburn. <laughs> yeah, there's just a little bit of heat to it. Um, it is... Uh, this is one of the more interesting things I've ever tasted uh, when it comes to beer. Um... And I, I, I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, dang, that's good. <laughs> uh, and then just quickly, so uh, in case anyone out there does want to uh, seek out the other beers, uh, just give a quick rundown of what they are. The Duck Sauce, which uh, I was actually looking for once Alex had told me he had purchased this. Uh, ha is hops, apricot, plum, pineapple, ginger, and candy syrup. Um, so I'm guessing it's, I don't even know what style they're going for with that. Um, but it'd be an interesting, like, fruit forward IPA would be my guess. And then the last one, which I'm less excited about, but would 100% try if, I, if given the opportunity, uh, is an imperial stout with Szechuan peppercorns, ginger, chilies, and peanuts, uh, because it is Kung Pao inspired. So you need that that peanut in there, uh, and that is an eleven percent APV. Yeah, I stout. saw that. I was like, I'm gonna uh, not <laughs> do that one for this. <laughs> um, well, uh, man, I really am intrigued and fascinated by this beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, do you have uh, some recommendations this week? Uh, I actually have a couple recommendations. Uh, going to start with a, a little television show from uh, our our great friends in the United Kingdom called Love Island. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, have you ever thought The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is maybe too sane? <laughs> Love Island is the show for you. Um, I don't even know how to explain it other than it is the best waste of an hour of, a, of my time. Well, the, well, the Bachelor and Bachelorette uh, boast a measly... 12 or so episodes a season. Yeah. Uh, Love Island, uh, the past few years, has been doing 40 episodes a season. It airs airs five days a week in the United Kingdom. Um, It is essentially the new Big Brother. Uh, They put a bunch of very attractive people in a house. And they're usually early 20s. I'd say the average age is probably like 22. 22. Um, And essentially have them couple up and... Uh, try to survive to win 50,000 pounds. And uh, they keep introducing people randomly to the show, and it's it's insane, pretty much. Um, but the narrator. The narrator is 100% the best part. Uh, he, loves, he loves his puns and his long-running uh, jokes about people's jobs sometimes. Um, he would make the Crypt Keeper proud. Oh, yes, 100%. Um, and then I actually have two book recommendations... Uh, last episode I recommended The Hike by Drew McGarry. I went back and read his previous book, uh, entitled The Postmortal, which is about a world in which, uh, aging, uh, has been cured. 
and people, uh, essentially all diseases have been cured and people don't die anymore. Uh, and it's told through, uh, almost like a diary format, um, of a guy who gets the cure and then goes on to, it's, it's about his life experiences and it takes, uh, 20 year jumps sometimes. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting read. (laughs) Um, and Drew McGarry, uh, despite mainly knowing him as a sports writer, uh, does a very good job with, uh, this kind of, uh, sci-fi, I guess, is, because it did win a Hugo Award, actually, um, sci-fi writing and kind of a dystopian future, uh, outlook. And then, uh, another book from, once again, someone I know as a sports writer, uh, a collection of essays that are vaguely travel essays but not all of them are uh impossible owls by brian phillips it's the it's the first book to really give me a full-on existential crisis <laughs> i haven't quite gone to the end yet but i'm i'm bracing myself yeah um it the the first the first few essays are legitimately travel essays um the last one the last few actually talk about kind of growing up and living in small town america and as someone from a small town in western Pennsylvania, like it kind of really hit home in a strange way, and it was, it was a tough, it was a tough read, but uh, it is it is phenomenal. Um, and thankfully, Amazon screwed up, and I ended up with two copies of it somehow, <laughs> yeah, which worked out well for me. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's all I have for recommendations. No music. No surprise. music this week. Yeah. Um. So I'm struggling to remember if I recommended Midsummer last episode i believe you did okay well yeah see midsummer anyway um (laughs) another movie that is not out yet but the trailer is out is a little movie called the lighthouse it is uh by uh director robert eggers it's his uh second uh second film uh follow-up to his first movie the witch which came out a couple years ago to uh quite critical acclaim yeah phenomenal movie uh essentially it's set in somewhere in the early to mid 1900s in maine uh willem dafoe and uh robert pattinson are the uh two actors in the movie and it is about them stationed at a lighthouse and slowly going insane as it's um events progress uh it's shot in like 35 millimeter and the entire movie is in black and white and just looking at the trailer it just looks like it looks like a hitchcock movie almost Just, like, it looks like an old movie, but mm-hmm. I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, it has that feel. And there's already, like, li- there are little things in the trailer, not to spoil things or whatnot, but little, like, weird things that you can be kind of interpret as potentially, like, supernatural, but maybe just people going insane. Ooh. So, it should be should be an interesting one. Uh, as far as uh, music goes, um, I am really stoked on the new uh, Tegan and Sarah album that's supposed to be coming out this fall. Uh, essentially for this one, they were uh, writing a memoir and were going back and looking through some old things and found their uh, cache of like old high school recordings on cassette tapes. So they want to revisit a bunch of these songs and then just re-record them having, you know, 20 some years in the music industry and the first single is out right now the album's called hey i'm just like you and the first single is i'll be back someday and i just absolutely love looking at the track list the song titles <laughs> track one hold my breath until i die <laughs> oh that definitely sounds like something a teenager would it's write. <laughs> great but um, yeah the, the first single is a freaking banger and i love it 
another album that I realized was out today somehow slipped under my radar, and I listened to 20 seconds of at max before the podcast, <laughs> uh, Russian Circles Blood Year. Um, if you like Russian Circles, uh, they're like kind of a post-metal, post-rock band, and the 20 seconds sounded like Russian Circles, so it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to rip. Uh, as far as books go, uh, this is uh, one that I read a little while ago. It is called The Elementals. It's kind of a southern gothic ghost story that's set um, in the middle of summer, low air, no air conditioning, where they're uh, at an old family estate uh, that used to be their summer home after a uh, matriarch of the family passes away. And it kind of blends the lines between insanity and actual uh, supernatural until things come to a very crazy peak at the end and I will be very surprised if Netflix at some point doesn't consider picking this up for one of their haunting doesn't, of Hill House seasons. Yeah, do, doesn't turn into a television is, show, uh, series. The writer point. actually uh, is the one who wrote the screenplay for Beetlejuice. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, so very good stuff. Um, I think that is all I have. Uh, obviously, Love Island bangs. <laughs> and uh, if we're just going full tilt on trashy television, I am very much looking forward to Bachelor in Paradise next week. That starts on Monday. <laughs> we're Two nights a week, baby. <laughs> uh, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> um, I think that's all I have. Uh, any last thoughts on the Pilsner? Uh, I, I Words can't describe how much I love this beer. Cheers to that. Yeah, it's, it's just... It's a thing of beauty. Uh, as always, it's been the Beer Here Podcast. Uh, intro music is Son of American by the So So Glows. You can follow us on Twitter at Beer Here Podcast and Instagram at Beer Here Podcast. My Twitters and Instagrams are at WG Alexander T. Uh, questions, comments, our email is beerherepodcast at gmail.com. One of us will check it maybe eventually. Um, <laughs> never happening. <laughs> Don't even know if we have that email address anymore. Uh, I personally am on Twitter and Instagram at WFN Palmer. Uh, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Um, drink more Pilsners. Thanks for listening and cheers. Cheers.